like to introduce um, the next person up here, which is our admissions partner from Campus Outreach at Indiana University, and that's Will Crooks. So let's hear an update from him. Good morning, Tulip Street. How are we? I hope you guys don't mind. I wore my Easter pastel to this 25-degree November morning. Um, for those of you that don't know, my name's Will Crooks. I'm here with my wife, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Good to see you. Uh, we drove here together. <clears throat> um, but we work for Campus Outreach at Indiana University. Campus Outreach uh, is a, one of the many great college ministries that serves at Indiana University. One of the things uh, that we prioritize as a ministry, and it's really summed up in our, in our mission statement, is our aim is to glorify God by building laborers on the campus for the lost world. And the way by which we aim to do that is a process we call the four E's, evangelism, establishing, equipping, and exporting. So we start by meeting a lot of students who are not Christians. We don't primarily try to gather people coming into college as Christians. We primarily try to reach non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus, and winsomely, relationally share the gospel with them and prayerfully see them come to know the Lord in a saving relationship. <clears throat> and that's, uh, I'm a baseball player, so that's getting them to first base, as it were. Second base would then be trying to establish them. So you're a Christian, now how do you grow? So how do you read the Bible and actually understand and apply it to your life? How do you have a meaningful prayer relationship with God in which you can come to him and ask things of him and commune with him over prayer? How do you have meaningful relationships with other Christians that grow and push and challenge you? Uh, that's the establishing phase. How do you now not just become a Christian, but an established Christian with the disciplines necessary to grow in your relationship with God? We also believe that Christians are called, like many of the things that were just mentioned that you guys are doing in your community, uh, Christians are called to not just uh, be good unto themselves, but be an impact onto others and love and serve others and, and impact others with the gospel of Jesus. And so that's the equipping portion. How do you now take what you've learned and understood about the gospel and teach it to someone else, whether that's a non-Christian uh, or someone who's young in their faith that needs help and growth? That's what the equipping phase. And then finally, exporting. Uh, Lord willing, no one is a college student for the rest of their lives. Uh, we love our folks who take one or two or three or four or five victory laps, but eventually uh, they'll move on from IU. And so the exporting process is helping them think about how they can take what they've learned and apply it to their next season of life and the rest of their lives. If uh, you want a picture of college ministry, imagine you plant a church and every four years the entire membership turns over. That's college ministry. And so that's what the exporting phase is for, to, to try to send people out. But I want to tell two stories, uh, specific people stories from this year at IU, uh, and then one general uh, story uh, as an encouragement to you guys and, and something you guys can be praying for. So <clears throat> this is the first year in two and a half years that hasn't been impacted by COVID. There were almost no restrictions. So we would go play basketball with students. We wouldn't need to wear masks while playing basketball this year. Uh, we wouldn't uh, need to, uh, all the lunch food courts were not grab and go. You're able to actually sit in a food court and hang out with someone and have a conversation with someone. And so we've been meeting a ton of students and we're very much in the evangelism process, meet a ton of students, share the gospel with those students. I wanna tell two stories students that I've met this year that I've built friendships with. The first is a guy named Chase, 
<clears throat> excuse me, Chase is from Boston and grew up with virtually no Christian background. He was uh, from a family that went to church on Christmas and Easter until he was eight, and then since then there's been really no church exposure for them. Chase and I began building a friendship. He's a big golfer. I'm a big golfer, so we played golf a couple of times together. And one of the times that we were playing golf, uh, I asked him, hey, you've been coming to our weekly meeting. Have you been enjoying it? What have you been getting out of it? He said, yeah, I've, I've not heard stuff like this before. I had no idea that the Christian life actually like, could impact me in college. I thought it was just this weird, ancient system of belief. I had no idea that it had real-world implications on my life. I said, oh, I, I know you're not a Christian. Have you ever thought about what it would look like if you were a Christian? And he said, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I've, I have thought about it. I think it'd be really hard because I, from what I'm learning from the meeting, uh, becoming a Christian involves giving over control of your life. And I could see how a lot of people would have a really hard time with that because there's some comfort in entrusting yourself to a God that loves you, but it's also really hard to give up control of your life. I'm like, yeah, that is a pretty accurate picture of the Christian life is entrusting yourself over to a God who loves you through his son, Jesus. And so he, Chase and I have been reading through the gospel of John together. He's been slowly understanding things about the Christian life. Um, so be praying for Chase. He's currently in, uh, I think, Venice, Italy for Thanksgiving break, because that's where you go if you're from Boston on Thanksgiving, apparently. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that's the first one. The second one is a guy named Ryan who's in a fraternity that I've been uh, befriending a couple guys. His name's Ryan. His fraternity brothers call him Juice. So pray for Juice. Uh, Juice and I have been hanging out. Juice is from a family. His parents separated. Uh, some Catholic influence in his background, um, but pretty limited exposure, again, to Christianity. We, he and I were going to the driving range uh, because men's ministry is often just best shoulder to shoulder doing something together. So we're at the driving range together. He'd been coming to our weekly meeting, and we were, again, reading through John, and I said, Juice, because that's what I call him, Juice, let me ask you, uh, if, if you were to die today, how confident are you that you would go to heaven? And he said, I, I think I'm a 7.5. And I said, okay, thank, thank you for your honesty. It'd be really easy to say 10. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, I said, what do you think the two and a half is? And he said, well, you know, I, I try to be a really good person. I try to do right by my fraternity brothers, and I try to be kind to my neighbor. And, uh, but I, I know that I mess up. Like today at the lunchroom, I said something to a fraternity brother that I regretted. <clears throat> and, I said, and he said, there's a pause. And he said, what are you? And I said, I'm a 10. And he said, well, that sounds a little arrogant. And I said, that's fair. Let me explain. Uh, I asked him, what, what if uh, you could be a 10 and it would have nothing to do with you and your performance, your moral performance, your own righteousness? And he said, well, gosh, I, I feel like that would be horrible for society. I said, oh, why, why do you say that? And he said, well, I love reading history and a lot of ancient cultures believed in reincarnation, and they believed that your status in society was based upon how good of a citizen you were in your past life. And so the upper class would treat the lower class terribly because they felt that they had gotten this place in society not by their own works, but by someone else's works, and it was like uh, their past work, and so they could treat other people terribly. I said, that's really interesting. Let me ask you a question. Let's say that you were born in an ancient culture into the high society, a family that loved you and cared for you, uh, you were respected, and I was a servant, a slave in your house, a slave to your family. And you come to find out that actually 
you had been a criminal in your past life, and I had been an upstanding citizen. But when we died, I had said to the powers that be, I actually want Juice to get my status in society, and I'll take his status as a slave. If you found that out, how would that affect how you lived? He said, gosh, I, I think I'd probably want to uh, be kind and loving to other people. I'd want to live like the life that had gotten me my status in society. And I said, Juice, that's Christianity. And he, we were hitting balls, and he paused, and he looked off in the distance, and he was like, whoa. He was like, I can't, that's it? I've never heard that before. And we started talking about how the message of Christianity is that a God who loved us sent his son to die for us so that we could have a relationship, a status with God, not by our own works, but by what Jesus had done on our behalf. And it was, it, it was like the lights turning on for him. And uh, he's not, he didn't become a Christian that day, but he and I have been having conversations. Again, we're reading through John. Uh, but these are the types of relationships that are happening at IU right now uh, through Campus Outreach's work and ministry. And they're relationships and conversations that are made possible by your church's partnership with our ministry. And so we're so thankful for you uh, coming alongside us. A couple other things to encourage you guys. Um, Last year, we have a, a fall conference every year. Last year, we had uh, 12 students uh, attend the fall conference. This year, we had 19. Uh, last year, our weekly meeting attendance was roughly 35 to 40. This year, it's hanging around 45 to 50. Um, and our New Year's conference, which is what we'd love for you guys to pray for, we had 10 students at it this past, uh, this past year. We've got 19 already signed up. And a lot of these people are, are people who are really curious about the Christian life, want to understand what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and so please join us in praying that, that God would add to the number of people that are going uh, and that the folks that are coming uh, would um, be impacted by the gospel. Um, lastly, I just want to leave you guys with this <clears throat> as an encouragement to you guys. Um, when I think about uh, what I want students to learn about who God is, um, I think about a summer project training that we did a couple of years ago, and one of our staff got up at the end of this nine-week training in which, he, uh, in which students learn how do you read your Bible, how do you pray, how do you have relationships with other Christians, and he asked the question at the end of this nine-week project, if you were to guess what one takeaway, what the number one takeaway that we would hope that you would have from this nine-week project is, what do you think it would be? And I'm on staff with the organization, I don't know how to have a relationship with God, or I, I don't know. And he said, we hope that the one thing you know from this summer is how much God loves you. How unchanging and unrestrictive God's love is for you. I'm reading through the, my goal is to read through the New Testament before the end of the, end of the uh, calendar year, and I read through the crucifixion of Jesus in Matthew a couple days ago. And just hearing all the things that Jesus endured on our behalf, uh, mocked, spat on, slapped, whipped, crucified, and all of that was nothing compared to the pain that he endured uh, from his heavenly father who poured out on him judgment for the sins of the world. And I, I just, I hope today for you and we hope for the students that we encounter that they would understand just how much God loves you, God loves them, and Jesus. So we are so thankful for you guys. We love you guys. And I'm going to welcome up someone. I don't know who. Uh, Daniel. I'm going to welcome up Daniel. Come here. 
Hey, let me be a, let me pray over you and your ministry, and then uh, I'll introduce kind of the rest of the day and what it's going to look like. So if you would, let's uh, bow together and pray over him. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing of another Lord's Day, for the beautiful sunshine outside, and for the smiling faces gathered here. And we pray over Will and his wife, Nicole, and the ministry that you've called them to. God, we know that this uh, campus ministry is one of those things that is uh, incredibly challenging, but equally incredibly rewarding. And we are encouraged to hear the stories that have coming out, uh, coming out of that uh, ministry. So many of us have ties to Bloomington and to IU and to uh, the folks there in that community. We pray your blessing on Will as he reaches out to these, these folks and these, teenager, uh, these teenagers and young adults that are trying to uh, know what the rest of their life is going to look like, God. And we pray that he can show them what it looks like to follow Christ for the rest of their lives and truly what it means to make disciples. We thank you for him and his update, and we pray your blessings on them throughout the rest of this year and on into the future. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, today's going to look a little different. It already has. Um, because, I mean, Thanksgiving, it's kind of, if you haven't already started decorating for Christmas, I'm sure that's coming, right? This is just a different time of year. And so today, when I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, wanting to do kind of a special type of service today, if you look throughout Scripture, Prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand. So we're going to focus kind of on both. So if you could put that slide up there. Um, there's one point where the disciples come to Jesus and ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Because for some of us, it doesn't come naturally. And we're not going to necessarily go through the Lord's prayer as he taught them. But we're going to look at one method of prayer that maybe could help you in your relationship with God to know how to pray, what to pray for, what does it look like? And so it's, it's really simple and straightforward. It's called the Acts prayer, the Acts method of prayer. And Acts um, stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, some of those are big words, but we'll break them down and talk about what each one of them means and what it looks like as we go. So we're going to blend scriptures little sermonettes, little, you know, five to seven minute little chunks here and there, some songs based on those, and some guided prayers based on each one of these topics. So as we begin, I'd like to ask you all to stand, and Josh is going to read to us from the book of Psalms. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of love and power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Adoration. Adoration. Maybe it was love at first sight for you. You looked across the room and saw the most beautiful young woman or most dashing young man you'd ever laid eyes on. And from that moment, every waking thought was consumed 
with the other person. Not in a creepy, stalkerish kind of way, but in a way that we might call smitten, swept off your feet. All you want to do is to be with that person, to call them, to text them, to send them funny memes, to take them to dinner, to go watch movies together, to get lost in conversations as you drive through the winding back roads. Then come the words, those three words that take every ounce of courage in your system to say, I love you. Now, many of you who have maybe been together for a long time, do you even remember who said, I love you first? All right, think about it for a second. Who, said, who had the courage to say, I love you first? But eventually it does come. You say, I love you. Not because of anything they've done, but simply because they are, well, they are themselves. It's difficult, if not impossible, to put into words why you love them. Because relationships and bonds like this are formed in parts of our brains that are deeper than our cognitive, logical parts. You can't put words to it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but you love them. This person is the object of your love, your affection, your adoration, precisely because you have become the recipient of their love, affection, and adoration. And so it is with God. God is the object of our adoration not because of what he has done for us, but because of who God is. When we experience the presence and the power of God, we can't help but whisper, maybe in our best Owen Wilson impression, wow. We can't help but just stand there in awe and wonder. Paul said God has made himself known to us through creation, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Who among us has never stood atop a mountaintop? or stood at the ocean shoreline, or under the stars on a moonless, clear night without pausing to soak in the beauty and the majesty of it all. It makes us feel incredibly small, insignificant, almost invisible and irrelevant. But God, who created it all, who created you and me as his crowning achievement, watches over us and calls us by name into relationship with him. The creator of the universe, of which we still know very little, has made himself knowable to us. In fact, we have been made his children, 1 John 3, 1. We are his masterpiece, Ephesians 2, 8. His prized possession, Exodus 19, 5. Those that he loved so much that he came to this earth and faced death on the cross for us, John 3, 16. This is why we begin our prayer with a moment of adoration. As Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We stand in awe and wonder of the thought of God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. 
yet we are the object of his love and affection. We love because he first loved us, even while we were still his enemies. And therefore, we say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. His love endures forever. His name is above every name. And it's a name that will be kept holy among us. If you have your notes from the sermon, hopefully you grabbed those in a pen. Or if you're following along, maybe in your Bible apps, you can go to the events section in version and do the same thing there. But if you don't have either of those, you can just take a moment and meditate on these things. But write down and meditate for a moment as we hear some kind of soft music playing. What are your own thoughts about God? What inspires awe and wonder and adoration within you? Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired my faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, bo- let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You may be seated. Confession. Okay, who clogged the toilet? Who left this mess in the basement? Who broke the picture frame? I've still yet to encounter this mysterious not me person who lives in our house. We do our best as parents to raise our kids to be honest. When we ask a question, you'll get in more trouble if you lie than if you just tell the truth. Isn't it funny, though, when your child tries to hide something from you, even when, you're, even when you 100% know the truth? You just want to hear them say it. But they come up with all the different excuses, fibs, or outright lies. 
That's how it is with God. He knows. He loves his children, but he knows we're not perfect. He knows we're going to mess up and do things our own way instead of his. God, through Christ, even knows what it's like to be tempted in every way, just as we are. In fact, God goes a step further and always gives us a way out when we're faced with a temptation. But alas, we foolish creatures fall for the same tricks time and time again. We mess up, we sin, we do all the bad things we know we're not supposed to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we neglect the good things that we know we should be doing. Welcome to the human condition. God knows this about us and chooses to offer mercy and forgiveness anyway. I would say it's without condition or no strings attached, but that's not necessarily the case. You see, in order to receive his mercy, we must be willing to confess that we need it. Jesus tells a story about two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Here, let's listen to how Luke records it. To some who were confident in their own self-righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't even want to look up at heaven. But instead, he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. <clears throat> when we compare ourselves to others, we'll always find a way to come out on top. But when we compare our lives to the will of God, then we can't help but feel the weight of our own sins and failures. St. Augustine wrote that pride is the commencement of all sin. In other words, pride is kind of the chief root of all the other sins. The proud think that they don't need God and are like those who are sick yet refuse to acknowledge their need for a doctor. Just as Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come, come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees time and time again were too proud to admit they needed a savior. Their pride kept them out of the close relationship with God that they claimed they wanted. The secrets kept them sick, so to speak. That's why healing can only come through confession. Again, not that God needs us to inform him. He already knows. <clears throat> but only when we allow his light to enter the darkest places of our souls can we find healing and freedom. John puts it this way. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. James, the brother of Jesus, agrees when he says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. By the way, thank you for your prayers throughout the week. Many of you were praying for me. I'm not 100%, but I'm much better than I was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Anyway, and the Lord will raise him up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. They're obviously drawing on the teachings of Jesus who taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus challenged us to forgive others just as much as God has forgiven us. So I want you to take a few moments and reflect, maybe write some things down. First of all, look into your own heart, your own souls, and, and think about some unconfessed sin that you may have. What secrets are keeping you sick? Write those down, give them names, bring them to light and experience the healing that can come from that. But also, maybe jot down a name or two or several people that you need to show forgiveness to, that you need to extend mercy to because God has been so merciful to you. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refugees in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 34, 1 through 10. Also in Psalms 100, verses 3 and 4, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, 
and praise his name. <clears throat> so service is a little different so far today. This meditation is a little different, kind of goes with the theme. So as I was thinking and preparing for this, I came up with a list. This is my list of what I'm thankful for and what I praise God for, for Tulip Street. See if you agree. And I apologize in advance if I missed an area. And I say this is in no particular order. I'm thankful for and praise God for the elders. They put in a lot of time and they carried the load for a long time while we were between senior ministers. Our church ministers and their families have gotten in, gotten busy, and shown leadership. The office and custodial crew, they do their work with excellence. So much so, we sometimes don't even take notice because they are so dependable. Our worship ministers, every week, they lead us into the throne room of heaven and they are so talented while they do so. Our deacons, they give their time and their talents, often behind the scenes. The financial team, they take care of our tithes and offerings with integrity and with a strong sense of stewardship. Our Sunday school teachers, they put in many hours preparing to lead our classes. Our nursery volunteers. Dedication. Sometimes it's all fun and games. Sometimes it's an effort to comfort a fussy child. Our children's ministry volunteers. They offer teaching and loving on our children Sundays and Wednesdays. Our youth group volunteers. Spending time helping to train the next generation of leaders in our church. The missions team, they give us an opportunity to have an impact for God outside of these walls. Our Bible school volunteers in the summer, lots of time, lots of effort. And when VBS is done, they've earned a rest. Our Bible study leaders, they also spend many hours preparing to lead classes. The techies, they run our technology, they keep the audiovisual stuff working so our worship and our classes go smooth. I love the fact I had to have two pages for this list. Folks who give financially, finances are needed, to keep the church running, to pay salaries, and to fund our missions. Small groups, 
loving and supporting each other while we do life together. Our ministry leaders, women's group, men's group, church groups, things don't happen without planning and preparations. Church fellowship volunteers, often these events involve food, much like this afternoon's plan, and I like to eat. Our worship setup volunteers, it's so nice that when we get here on Sunday morning, we don't have to grab a chair and put it in place. It's already here. We can just sit down. Our Operation Christmas Child volunteers, helping us have a worldwide impact. Our Birth of Missions volunteers, helping us have a community-wide impact. Our Community Easter Celebration volunteers, still having a community-wide impact. Folks who volunteer with groundskeeping, they take care of the outside of the property. Folks who take care of inside projects, take care of the inside of this property. Our church family, it's so special to worship with you every week. Our online family, we're glad you can participate with us via technology, but we miss you. Come and join us in person. And then God, who created me, who knows me, and he loves me anyway. Jesus, who took the punishment and died in my place for my sins. For the Holy Spirit, for reminding me of scripture, showing me when I've done well, and showing me when I haven't for guiding me through life. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you for our blessings. Father, thank you just doesn't seem to be enough. Thank you for your love. You are holy and righteous and worthy of our praise. Amen. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. 
the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Psalm 65. Supplication. That's a big word for asking for stuff. Um, to, to humbly ask for the things you need. Supplication. It's almost Christmas time, which means one thing for every parent out there. Their children have, a sudden, have suddenly developed a case of the gimmies, or at least that's what my parents used to call it. The toy displays <clears throat> in every store, uh, the catalogs, mailed to your house, even from, like, Amazon. Like, I can just browse online, right? Uh, the ads on TV or targeted to YouTube as the kids are watching it. The unboxing videos showing off the latest and greatest toys and tech. It's relentless this time of year. I've always found it ironic that following a national holiday focused on being thankful for what we already have is a day dedicated to getting the best deals on all the stuff we don't really need. We all want to give good gifts, hopefully. Husbands and dads uh, can be a little aloof in this regard, I'll admit. How many husbands run into CVS or Walgreens the day before Valentine's Day or the day of, frantically picking out something for the missus? How many dads out there are just as surprised at their kids at the gifts they get from mom and dad? In all seriousness, though, we each know what it's like to have to provide for someone else or to be provided for. It often comes easily within our families, but when other needs arise from someone in church or in the community, we say, if there's anything you need, just let me know. But do they ever let you know? Have you ever let someone know what you need? There are two aspects <clears throat> to this final category of prayer. First, supplication or asking for things should come after the thanksgiving. Sometimes we only need to look around and, as the old song says, count our blessings to see what God has done. No matter your socioeconomic status, it's hard to argue that we live in one of the most materially blessed nations in the history of mankind. Most of our needs are really just wants. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves asking and asking and asking God for things without ever stopping to thank him for what he's already done. Thankfulness and supplication 
really do go hand in hand. Luke records a story of 10 men with leprosy, this crippling, debilitating skin disease. And they approach Jesus asking to be healed because they know he has the power to do it. He obliges and sends them on their way to go show themselves to the priests. Only one out of those 10 returned to say thank you and to worship God. Let's be more like that guy. Thanksgiving and supplication go hand in hand. The second aspect of supplication is that we shouldn't be afraid to ask. Jesus compares our heavenly father to our earthly fathers. If our own parents know what we need and are more than happy to give us what we already need and want, how much more so our father in heaven. So Jesus urges us to ask, to seek, to knock. Everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks will find an open door. Paul echoes these thoughts when he encourages the church in Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, there it is, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He continues a little bit after that and says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Peter also reminds us that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. My favorite title for God, my favorite title name for God in all of Scripture is Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord provides. This has been the story of my life. God has provided for us every step of the way. It's not always in the way we expect. It's not always when we want it, but God is faithful. Abraham said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Amen. Um, as we dismiss, I do want to say a prayer, uh, just one blessing over you. It's not really a prayer, but it's the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And remember, after this, if anybody's able, we got some boxes to unload. We got tables and stuff to set up. So hang around and linger for a bit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Have a great week and a happy Thanksgiving.